please. Oh, uh, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had a main B bus undervolt. Roger, main B undervolt. Okay, stand by 13, we're looking at it. Welcome to Positive Arse Talks, hosted by Mike. The show that talks all things Arsenal, looking to build a positive relationship amongst the fans and players. Grab your cup of tea and stick around with me. It's Thursday, October 7th, 2020, episode 4. We beat Sheffield and now we're having a party. Welcome to episode number 4. I hope you all had a great weekend and were able to soak in this beautiful weather. It seems that the weather is starting to decrease in temperature as opposed to go back up because about a week or so ago, it started going back up from about 60, 65, and shot back up to 80, and I I really don't like those drastic changes in the weather, and, you know, maybe for those that like the heat a little bit more so than myself, hey, that's awesome, I'm glad you're able to soak it up, but... I'm ready for the fall, hoodie weather, uh, coats, pants, ways to hide and suck in my belly through loose button-down shirts and stuff. You know what I'm feeling? (laughs) No, but I try my best to keep myself in shape. But anyways, hope you all had a great weekend, like I said. And today's topics will include discussing our fourth English Premier League game against Sheffield United, which we won 2-1 as well as our transfer window roundup and my rating score of the transfers as the international window has officially closed at 11 p.m. BST on October 5th, 2020. That was this past Monday. Now, let's get right into the game. So on Sunday, we played against Sheffield, and like I said, we won 2-1. It was our second match of the season at the Emirates, and we had Burnt Leno in net, Hector Bellerin playing on that right wing back. We had David Luiz playing center back. We had Gabriel, who looked like he was playing left back. I'm sorry, I apologize. No, yeah, Bellerin was definitely playing right wing back. And then Gabriel was playing the right back? right center back, and then we had Tierney at left center back, and then it looked like we had Shavsaka into that left wing back position. Then in the middle we had Danny Ceballos and Mohamed Elneny. And then we had Willian playing on the right wing with Eddie Nketiah playing in striker, and Aubameyang was playing on his left wing as Arteta loves playing him in that slot. Now, a part of me would like to see him play striker again, but now I think it's too comfortable because I like the way that he's able to adapt on cutting in from that left side, go straight to the middle, and take that finesse shot into the upper 90. For the most part, it's usually always on target, and there's nothing I could complain about that. Although, I do like having a striker that knows how to get behind the line, find space, and have the ability to find those passes that will come in from the middle or the wing into that guy. But, like I said, he's doing all right at left wing. Might as well keep him somewhere where it's working, and I understand there's a lot of competition up top between Anketia and Lacazette. It seems to go back and forth, contingent of how they must train, because I think that's the only thing that prevents you from getting played, right? It sounds like Arteta is playing hardball, and it's either... You show up, you come present yourself, you work hard every day, and you'll be in the starting lineup. Because I remember last year we had a point where Danny Ceballos, we didn't even know who that guy was anymore. I remember I was talking about him saying, hmm, can't say that there's anything too big about him that I know that I would care if he plays or not just because he wasn't really in the plans. But... After the COVID breakout and all that stuff and winter break last year when Michael came in right before Christmas time, uh, I guess sometime right around the spring, he must have started showing up to training and wanted to play and look where he's got himself. He's got himself. Uh, he helped us win an FA Cup. 
He helped us win some matches that got us into the further stages of the FA Cup. I mean, nothing but praise to say to him. But, anyways, let's get down to some of the things that happened in the game. So, in the opening first minute, I thought it was interesting. Um, Aubameyang on the left wing had played a great ball to Enkedia, but he lost his footing. And... It was just really unfortunate. It looked like the ball got behind him, then a defender came around, and he was trying to do some weird... Uh, the ball was bouncing, and Enkedia kind of just let it slip right past his foot. But let me tell you, I just wanted to bring that up because that's a perfect curled-in ball from Aubameyang, and it couldn't have been any more perfect. It's just the fact that Enkedia was about a step or two behind, and, you know... You have the right person that's able to be aware of where Aubameyang's going to play that ball, whether it be Lacazette, Enkedia, Williot, whoever it is, making that run in the middle. Just got to be a little bit more aware of the fact that, hey, maybe I should start making this run a little bit sooner, but it happened in the first minute. So I liked it. It was already pressure. It was showing an you know, uh, attacking threat that we need because obviously our last game against Liverpool we weren't really showing that we were much of a threat and that's for the Premier League game uh, the Carabao Cup game that we won penalties it just seemed like it was going back and forth you know and like I said we were just missing a presence in the midfield and we were able to adapt and even so it was a team like Sheffield who are now on four games lost this season already and I think that they're 19th out 20th place with Burnley ahead of them on goal differential I believe it was yeah it's just not looking like a good season for them or at least a good start and you know that momentum kind of pushes into your games and when you're not winning and you're just losing constantly it just makes it harder for you to adapt the games and silly mistakes and errors happen and I think I saw a few of those instances while we were playing against them this past weekend so you know, it's just something that they kind of have to work and build and adapt on. And I don't want any other team to do bad, unless, of course, it's Spurs. But, you know, <laughs> gotta hate them because they're my direct rivals. Although, maybe it is time to sit here and say, hmm, I don't want to hate people, but I have a strong disliking towards those fans. Because North London is red. It's not white, it's red. But anyways, <laughs> going deeper into the game, uh, not really too much happening in a span of time. Uh, up until the 19th minute, I thought Bellerin had a nice play into the box and left the ball for William uh, on an overlap run that was happening between them two on the right side. But William unfortunately kicked the ball right at the goalie. And it looked like he was trying to make some type of cross or pass out of it, which is great. And Enkedi actually saw that too, and he was a few steps behind it. But, you know, again, with the awareness to know where that player might pass or something. But another thing I've noticed with William is he needs to start picking up his head a little bit more. I mentioned it in the last show, but I think... One thing that is an issue for him is as soon as the ball is at his feet, he's looking down. And, you know, he's one of those people that can kind of feel uh, the presence of another opponent around him, I've noticed, where he'll start to turn or curl around a player before they even step up behind him or something of that scenario. It's almost like he can feel someone else's energy presence around him in order to help him evade certain situations. But after he is done doing so, it seems he's always playing the ball too far ahead or behind players, and that's a result of you having your head glued to the ground and looking at your feet and could just come out a little bit better than that but you know it's a work of progress i hope that he will be able to adapt to getting out of that bad habit because come time that we're playing against more liverpools and man cities and you know any top six team at all or any team at all you can really get punished for doing that over and over again because what's going to happen the one time you give the ball out to somebody that's able to clear the ball and find the guy running behind us like a Michael Antonio or something of those sorts you know we almost had a few freak accidents with him causing havoc against us and you know it's just we have to be a little bit more aware of the simple little things we're doing ourselves individually as the players on the field and, you know, another thing that I think uh, 
has to deal with that too is the fact that there's no fans in the stadiums. I mean, there's a lot of people that'll start harping at you and yelling to say, hey, you're playing like shit. You're a waste of money. I mean, even though we got William on a free, he's still on wages. We're, he's on our weekly wage bill. And, you know, we just won what we're paying for, pretty much. That's about it. But, yeah, just more of those certain scenarios where I think William has to just start picking up his head a little bit more, or try to hold the ball instead of just immediately passing it after you've evaded a defender, because he does that as well. Um, I noticed it throughout the game that he actually started to dribble the ball more up until the point that he was subbed, and I think that's more along the lines of what we need, because it sounds like Arteta brought him in to be some type of influence up top to create plays for us, because at this current moment, we don't really have that many creative players. We have a lot of finishers. We have speedy, pacey guys. Um, you know, if I'm to bring up who I think the top creators of this ge- uh, team are right now, if I was to say the top three, it's probably going to be in no specific order amongst William, Danny Ceballos, and Bakayo Saka. And not to say that uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang and those guys and different players aren't able to make plays, but they're not necessarily the playmakers, right? They're, they're the guys that you want finishing the ball. So just got to start to allow William and Saka to unleash and break out into the first team and become the creative aspiration type players that, you know, we really want in this team. I mean, I want to watch beautiful, lovely football. It's like, you know, just got to make sure that we can actually do that and adapt to the game is all and make our presence a little bit more known on offense as best as we can because, you know, we could be as much of a threat waiting to counterattack and playing the one-touch arsenal counterattack stuff football, but how much better would it be to finally come in and bring up the ball like a Santa Cazorla, where you, you literally have that player that's able to adapt to any team they're playing against and make a play out of nothing and dribble around multiple players. And I'm not asking people to do that specifically, but it would be really nice to have. And I think that we're building towards that. It's still the early parts of the season. We have a lot of stuff to work on, and even this game was kind of closed with a 2-1. You don't really like uh, keeping it that close at this point. But, yeah, again, nothing really happened too much up until the 30th minute. And that last play I was talking about was the 19th minute, so it's a good 11 minutes away. And there was a good pressure on attack from Arsenal. And I noticed that Tierney crossed the ball over toward the middle and went right over to um, Aubameyang. And then... Because the ball went over Aubameyang's head, it was cleared out by the defender. I think it was uh, Egan, John Egan, if I'm not mistaken as his name. But Elneny collected the ball that the defender cleared and gave the ball to Ceballos immediate, who was able to find Saka right in the middle around the 18-yard box. And Saka had another attempt, but it uh, kind of turned out to be an issue where his back was the goal, and he lost his balance following through, and the goalie... Uh, got a miss kick from that i mean it just went over the net didn't really happen um he was able to collect that ball and it was a goal kick so you know just just gotta try to be a little bit more smarter with our decisions in those types of plays i mean i understand that you have your back to goal and your main thinking you know your strategy is i'm gonna turn around and shoot on my left and you know, if you have two defenders on you right then and there when you had the ball and your goal is facing towards back, why don't you try to find an option that can run behind the line like a tyranny, a bombing or something and get them with a heel to go through the line and then you could try to pass the ball into the middle or they finish it themselves. I mean, you know, just be a little bit smarter with our decision making. And he's still young, he's adapting to it, and I give him all praise for having built all of this confidence to try and score as many goals and create as many opportunities as he can. But sometimes it's best if we could be a little bit smarter with our decisions, at least from my perspective with what happened in that soccer play. And I think 
he's working on it a lot better. I mean, he's had to play so many different positions that I think he's finally starting to adapt back to wing back, which I'm a fan of just because I liked how much of a presence he could be on defense and all that speed on the wing is crazy. I mean, I get it. The boy wants to play attack, score goals, create chances, be on the wing, but you know, I think Arteta's finally finding a way how to play him as a wing back and still have somebody like an Elneny cover back in that left back role and let Tierney roll up into the space that you know, Sokka could be in, and Sokka's now pushing towards the middle, and it's vice versa when it's on the other side, and it's Willian with uh, Bellerin, and then Elneny's coming back again. You know, it's kind of like uh, Elneny just became the shift of Jocko that will fill in and rotate with another player when it's their chance to move up on the bar. They think it's best that they can do that. But... Immediately after that, in the 33rd minute, Gabriel broke up a big play, at least from my standpoint. It's a stone wall. I mean, I don't know how much better it gets than this, but he broke up a counterattack where it was literally just him and I think Tierney behind him because Louise was out of position, and they had about three or four Sheffield United players. One of them took the ball on with... um, you know, Gabriel and the other three were waiting in the middle, and Gabriel just stuffed him out, boxed him out of the ball, and took the ball away from him. I mean, he is such a big man and a strong defender that I think, you know, it's not, I can't say that he's going to be the best player. You know, I can't say he's going to be the best defender. I mean, how many cases have we had where players came in and they were great for the first few games and after that just melted down so again on the basis that i don't have enough of a report to go off of to say that this guy is the real deal and legit but to receive man of the match in two of four english premier league games played this season I think that's a huge milestone already, and it's only something you can build off and work on to two more. But, you know, just got to see if he really is the real deal. And I wish that he could have played against Liverpool, so I stand corrected. He didn't play against Liverpool, so that's too many of the match awards out of three. I apologize for messing that up. But, yeah, I mean, the guy's phenomenal right now. I have nothing but praise for Gabriel, and I really hope that he continues to produce and grow on the streak of uh, working in, uh, into our system. And he just looks like uh, – I love the fact that he's able to not only just play with his left foot because he's left-footed, but I notice whenever he's letting the ball come over from his right side and he wants to pass to the left real quick, he's not letting the ball run past his body like Louise does a few times, but – you know, he's actually using his right foot to pass the ball. I mean, and it's so accurate that it's just beautiful to watch. I mean, it's so nice to see when a player can use both of their feet. Now, I'm not saying he's launching long balls with his right foot, but the fact that he can use both feet while on a defensive line of three players, and I guess if you really want to put it, break it down to five players because of the wing backs, that's great. That is such a great feat to do. I mean, with me in my instance, I played left back all the time, and I'm right footed. I had to learn how to play with my left foot because if I started trying to cut into my right, people had the center lane to go right into the net and. I'm not going to sit here and say I was fast. I, I'm not the fast, fastest guy on the field. I mean, I knew that. I really didn't have too much speed on me, so I had to play a little bit smarter and learn how to use both my feet instead of trying to cut to my right foot where I give a clear lane opening to somebody to just steal the ball and put myself and the rest of my team into a bad position. So kudos to Gabriel. I mean, I can't give him enough praise with any of that going on, but um, I mentioned something about how Gabriel lets, he doesn't really let the ball roll past his body. In certain circumstances, you can, and maybe there's a few communication gaps or errors between him and Leno I've noticed a few times now that they've played together, where uh, it looks like Gabriel's about to 
head the ball back or leave the ball for Leno, or Leno's expecting him to take it or something. You know, it's just... I think it's a language barrier, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it's just something with he's so used to the goalie steal or coming out and grabbing that ball uh, when he was playing for Lil that he's got to adapt to Leno, who's more favorable to kind of sit back and let the ball come to him as opposed to come out and grab it. But Leno did a great job of coming out to grab the ball, and this happened in the fourth minute, actually, but I wanted to talk about it after I had spoken about Gabriel because Louise does this all the time. In the fourth minute, Louise had a ball come from Gabriel. He tried allowing the ball to roll past him, in which Ollie Berg, number 14 on Sheffield, was able to just come from behind David Louise, pick that ball off him, and Leno read that whole entire play to come out and clear that ball graciously because if Leno wasn't there, that could have easily been one nothing to Sheffield. And it could have been a whole different change dynamic of the game, especially in the fourth minute of the game. You just can't be making those rash decisions when you were the last line of defense. And another thing I want to bring up is if Ollie Berg is making that run, regardless of hearing the fan noises through my Peacock TV... Why do I not hear any of the defenders screaming at Dava Louise aside from Arteta? He's the only one that's opening his mouth to let him know. Oh, Ollie's there. He's coming. And, you know, not that I can scream into a microphone right now, but you hear Arteta. His face is red, okay? You could hear how loud he's screaming at these guys if there's something that he doesn't like. And I didn't like that either. It's just... You know, you gotta work as a unit with each other. And, again, just poor decision-making by Luis to... I don't know why you would let something run beyond you if you know that you're right outside of the halfway line or the center line and pretty much just gonna allow anybody to just run up on you like that and you don't have speed so why don't you just actually try to settle the ball square you know it just doesn't make sense to me but hopefully that's something we can he can work on in the future and you know it's just it's got to change because those silly mistakes are what cost us big games i mean we were gracious that that was Sheffield and Leno was able to read that fast enough. If that was Liverpool last week, I don't even know what would have happened. I mean, they would have had five guys down our throat by the time we realized that the ball was taken from Louise. You know, it's just got to be a little bit smarter with those decisions that we make. And again, kudos to Leno for being able to do that. And kudos to Gabriel for not letting it always roll past him and using both of his feet. You know, just being a little bit smart. Uh, and aware of where the opposing players are. That's about all. <clears throat> but, after that, you know, when Gabriel broke the play and I called him pretty much a stone wall in the 36th minute, um, Ramsdale gave up the ball in the middle of Ceballos, and Ceballos laid a ball off to Aubameyang, and he took a shot to the top right corner, but Ramsdale was able to get some of that ball for a corner. Now, like, you know, tap it out with his hands he got a piece of it uh, I mean like I was talking about earlier I don't really mind that Aubameyang is on the left wing just because I think it makes it easier for him to cut from the outside in behind defenses and in that situation he was able to just go in between three defenders that were between him and the ball with Ceballos and you know that's something that he's becoming more frequently accustomed to doing that shot at the top right corner and I'm pretty sure hey he starts shooting about 20 to 30 to 40 of those even more throughout the season I mean who's to say that 10 or more won't go in so keep on taking those shots I like it I like that Sabios is able to find that pass right in between all those defenders and you know we'll see what happens from there but Another instance happened to Aubameyang only 38 minutes late, uh, in the 38th minute, so two minutes later after that Ramsdale situation. Um, Aubameyang took a, a challenge where the ball was coming towards him, and Burge, 
the Sheffield United player, went studs up to the inside of Aubameyang's leg. Now, I know that this was looked at and reviewed by virtual assistant referee or VAR, whatever you want to call it, but um, here's my thing. Uh, I think it's a dangerous play to go in studs up no matter what. I think that's always going to be a reckless play. I don't care how much of the ball that you've gotten. If you are just going in full force and he jumped up off the ground to make this tackle, I not that I'm complaining he didn't get a red, but I feel like any other player would have got a red. I mean, not to say that Arsenal has bad luck or anything or that Mike Dean was <laughs> the referee against us, but that definitely would have been called against us. I mean, it just doesn't really make sense that uh, it wasn't a red card, but I can understand that the play happened so fast, and I'm grateful to see that Aubameyang was able to play the rest of the game. That was a scary moment, and yeah, pretty much just a little confused with the uh, VAR decision there, just because... We've now seen like red cards happen for different types of plays in the first few matches, and it's just kind of ridiculous that it seems swayed towards specific things. I mean, giving away handballs when somebody can't move their hand in the penalty box, which is absolutely atrocious. I'm not saying specifically in Arsenal games, but I know that's happened a few times throughout this season already. And, I mean, a play like that, and you're just, eh, just yellow. I mean... What do we have the virtual assistant referee for if you're not going to look back or even have the referee go look at it for himself? How, you are the guy in the middle that makes the ultimate decision to give that red or yellow card, but now all these guys have come accustomed to just go straight to their headset and listen to whatever the VAR guy has to tell them. And, you know, whatever, it just kind of... All that says to me is you're lazy to not go over to the sideline in between both of the coaches where they clearly had that virtual assistant referee television sitting right there for the middle man to go over and look at. But for whatever reason, they just won't do it. In some certain scenarios, yes, they do, but it's so late that you're like, why did you even waste my time? You just waited for the virtual or VAR ref to give us some decision, and now, after five minutes of looking at that, you have to go look at the television screen when you could have done that from the very beginning. So, you know, just not upset about the red. I'm just grateful that Aubameyang is not hurt and was able to continue to play the rest of the game. And the only other uh, scenario I had in the first half that was even notable at all was in the 43rd minute, Aubameyang took a bicycle kick from El Nenny's header during a clearance, and it went right to the keeper. So not much else happened, and that was the end of the first half. Now we bring into the 51st minute of the second half. We had a good chance where Ceballos gave the ball to Aubameyang, but the ball went right past his foot as it was curled in. And um, the ball came in from William to Saka to Ceballos. And, you know, I love the fact that we're linking up plays and making sure that almost every man touches the ball before it gets put to a finisher or something. That's the arsenal I'm used to, you know, the build-up play, the links, the triangles, the one-twos. Making sure the ball comes in and, yeah, like I said, it went right past his foot, but... More of those opportunities and moments can really do a lot for us. But, um, nothing really happened too much. Aside from, a minute later, uh, Ceballos took a risky play where the ball was crossed into the middle and Lundstrom was running from behind Ceballos to grab the ball. And Ceballos uh, tried to flick it up and it looked like he caught Lundstrom's foot, and Lundstrom could have easily fell down for a penalty kick. So, hey, kudos to Lundstrom for being a man and not diving and falling on the ball, but that could have been really risky. And so, one of those scenarios where we got to be smart and have a better awareness of who's around us or not, because in those types of plays, I mean, anything could happen. And again, 
we give up that, the score is 0-0, zero, zero, and the whole dynamic of the game changes. But <clears throat> shortly after that, in the 57th minute, we had a substitution, and Pepe came in for Anketia. It looked like uh, Pepe was in the striker zone and then got pushed to right wing after William was pushed to striker from right wing. So looks like they kind of changed those roles there so that William could be more central and be the creative piece or the link between all those players. And let me tell you, in the 60th minute, Arsenal got their first goal. And... What happened from this play is William took the ball into the right corner, right outside the 18-yard box, and he passed it back to Pep, or Pepe, who was able to lay the ball in front of El Nenu, who made a run from central defensive mid straight to the top of the 18-yard box towards the center, kind of. And so the ball was left for El Nenu, who was able to... Passed the ball to Aubameyang, and then Aubameyang found Bellerin, and a cross went right to the far post, and Saka was able to head that ball in, and it's one nothing. It was great team playing. Like I said, Pepe was a difference maker to be able to make that pass happen to El Nenny, and it was a nice job on El Nenny to make that run in the first place, because we could see he doesn't really attack so much or get into the offensive third as much as Ceballos or any other player that he's playing with in that central uh, midfield role in the two, so kudos to the all-around team playing. Great job on Bukayo Saka to get a goal. In the same week that he got called up to go play for the England national team. So, great job for him. I'm really proud and happy and excited for Saka. And can't wait to see more of what this kid's got. And maybe he'll be a big figure for England as well. So, we'll see. But, shortly after that, we had another goal come in. And it was a 63rd minute. 2 nothing to the Arsenal. And... What happened in this situation was we kind of had a little counterattack where um, the ball was able to be played out to Pepe, who was sitting in the right wing, and he found Bellerin, who kind of made a run towards the middle in the center half point. And Bellerin was able to find Pepe on the 1-2 from that pass. And on the overlapping run, and Pepe was able to run through past two defenders and beat the last one right when he got to around the 18-yard box from that right wing side, and he loves his left foot. Well, he scored a lone goal from about a 40 to 35-yard dash from the right side, and it hit off the post and just went in. Now, let me just say this. I'm not making a comparison to say that he plays like him just yet, but that was a Thierry Henry goal, and that was beautiful to get two goals within the span of three minutes and ten seconds of the game, and it just looked like from that point we started taking it real hard on them. We had so much pressure, and you know, shortly after that, the 65th minute, uh, another notable thing I found was Pep almost found Alba, but his pass was blocked inside the box and cleared away, and that could have been 3 nothing there. Maybe Pep has to figure out a better way to maybe curl that ball in or even try to make it bounce into the box. It's tough to do that while on the run, but yeah, just something that he can work on, develop, but... Glad he was able to find and pinpoint that pass and not try to be so selfish to score another goal just because he's boosting high with boost um, confidence at that point. Boosting. <laughs> uh, what a Wednesday. Sorry, it's been kind of busy for a real-life job. I work in internet technology, and all the systems keep breaking. And uh, that was a big word of the day is, uh, yeah, let's... Let's boost that issue up, huh? Let's let's put the priority up on that. But uh, yeah, just a little inside joke with uh, the job and coworkers, and who knows? Maybe they'll listen to this and laugh at the podcast. But anyways, in the seventy seventh minute, Burnt Leno had his first save on net. Uh, that was interesting. And then the eightieth minute, we had another sub where Shaka came on for Sabios and. 
Shortly after that, in the 83rd minute, there was a goal for Sheffield United where McGoldrick cracked a nice finesse shot outside the center of the right side of the 18-yard box. And let me tell you, it would have been tough for anyone to try and save that, whether it was Leno, Martinez, uh, Gigi Buffon, Manuel Neuer. That shot was struck so perfect that it just would always beat around any goalkeeper. And so, you know, just got to be a little bit tougher to actually run out and contest those guys instead of allowing them to have those types of shots. I understand that he was able to cut through different players, but he ain't no Messi. (laughs) He ain't no Lionel. So, you know, maybe it would be best if we tried to find a way to fill in those gaps so that somebody can't get a shot outside the 18-yard box like that into the center of the net. But regardless, it was a beautiful shot. So, kudos to McGoldrick. And, yeah, the last thing that happened in the game was there was a sub for Saka, and Ainsley Maitland-Niles came on, and then not much else. The game ended, we won 2-1. In conclusion, we dominated in possession, but Any of our scary moments came from our own mistakes, which is exactly what Sheffield United were trying to execute in their game plan to lay back and invite pressure. We need to start picking up our heads, uh, like I said, and start being smarter with the ball. Like, Ceballos and David Luiz got caught in bad moments, but made up for the mistakes as the game progressed. And Gabrielle looks great. KT was awesome. It was nice to see him in the starting lineup after all the stuff that happened uh, against Liverpool in the warm-up match. Um, So, yes, I'm very excited to see this defense in full action as soon as we get Pablo Mari back because he should be returning to training within the next two weeks, according to the last report from the Arsenal medical staff. And as I've said, um, midfield still needs some work, and... I gotta say, I don't mind the Elneny Ceballos partnership. I thought that it was nice to see that Elneny kind of pushes up a little bit more than Shaka would, and it was nice to add that additional threat. Although I think the game plan would have changed where Elneny or Shaka, whoever was playing in that role, would have actually been filling in much more and staying behind the ball. Instead of putting six in the offensive third, we would keep it five over there. And, uh, you know. Hopefully, this is the nice link to figure out how can we get more of our central midfielders involved with the play that's happening because it seems we get heavy on going down one of those wings. And by the time the ball comes into the middle, it's just either a cross or a fast pass or a curled uh, attempt into Enkedia or Lacazette or whoever's just sitting there in the middle waiting for the ball. And I think it would prove to be a little bit more interesting if we could actually have some more balls coming in from the middle, like um, like a Man City where they're just uh, constantly jumping down your throat and they're able to play the ball out wide, switch the play, bring it back to the middle, and then just go straight down and hammer you with all the different uh, players lined up at different points to have multiple triangles, overlapping plays, one-twos, through balls, different ways to defeat and play against the defense. So... Yeah, we'll see how that works, but like I said, I didn't mind the partnership, and, you know, the goal came on after Shaka came in. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I thought Shaka was fine for the minutes that he played, and uh, no hard feelings for anybody. Hopefully we could work on that, but yeah, we were still slow to pick it up, but the second half proved that there was a smart amongst the two for those guys, and... Saka was phenomenal. Pepe was the difference maker today. Let's see what comes next time. And maybe we'll see if Lacazette is up top against Man City in our next English Premier League game. But let's get to the fun part of the show. Let's talk about our international transfer window roundup, which just closed, as I said before, On October 5th, 2020. That was this past Monday. And I guess first I'll just start with the players that have exited. 
um, Arsenal. So on this list, we got Henrik Mkhitaryan. He's going to be playing for Roma. I don't have a disclosed fee for him. I think he terminated his contract and was able to leave and go on a free to Roma. But I don't have any further details to know what happened specifically in that situation, but that is what I have overall from that. Sam Greenwood has made his uh, switch to Leeds, and that was for 1.5 million pounds, or quid, whatever you guys want to call it. Uh, In U.S. dollars, it would be probably like, I don't know, 6 to 8 million U.S. dollars. Uh, Toby Amoli was released. Dinos Moropanos, he was put on loan at Stuttgart. Uh, Trey Coyle, he went to Gillingham on loan. Zach Medley went to Gillingham on loan. Matt Smith went to Swindon on loan. Jordi Utsai-Tutu went on loan to Cardiff. Sorry if I'm butchering these names, guys. You can totally tell me in the comments or anything on my social media pages. I sound like a fool and tell me the proper pronunciation. (laughs) Um, Ben Sheaf went to Coventry on loan. Therese John-Jules. Went to Doncaster on loan. Emiliano Martinez went to Aston Villa for a reported fee of twenty million pounds or quids, and in U.S. dollars that would be close to twenty-seven, twenty-eight million dollars. Mark McGinnis went on loan to Ipswich. Matthew Dennis was released. Zach Swanson has gone to Maastricht. On loan, Matteo Ganduzzi has gone to loan to Eartha Berlin. Daniel Ballard has gone to loan to Blackpool. Lucas Torreira is also going to loan on loan, not to loan on loan to Atletico Madrid. Um, it's an undisclosed loan fee, but there is a loan fee. I'm still trying to gather up all those details for myself, but at the end of the season, there is an option to buy set at 20 million pounds or quid, and like I've been saying, 20 million in US dollars comes out to about 27-28 million dollars. Notable names that got released, I mean, Emilio Martinez, uh, Emmy, I, I really just want to say thank you so much for all of your services and coming in when you were 16 years old as a boy and saying all of the kind words and actually saying goodbye to us as Arsenal fans because we know that there's been certain situations in our transfer window prior to this one where certain players will leave and not even say anything. Uh, you know, it just kind of hurts and. It's nice that you gave us some some type of personal connection to be left with, that uh, you still have a heart and you care about us, and you're very grateful that we were there for you this whole time. I wish you all the best to Astonville, like I've said before. And um, their season is looking pretty good right now. I mean, they're three for three. Uh, They have nine points, and I think they're sitting in... Second place, uh, we've played four games as opposed to a third. There's some teams where their games got pushed back and only played three before this international break had commenced this past week. <clears throat> but, yes, Emmy, I love you, man. If you ever listen to this, I hope that you and your family have have a great life, and uh, we'll see you on the field whenever we play against you. I'm not sure what date specifically that is, but I'm sure we'll see you soon. And if it was at the Emirates, man, you know for sure you'd be getting quite the applaud. And I hope that at that point, maybe some fans can be in the stadiums. We'll see, but, uh, you know, that would be beautiful. Um, Another notable one is Matteo Ganduzzi. I apologize for clearing out my throat, guys. I don't know what's going on here. But my allergies have been just, like, really bothering me lately. And I tried having my cup of tea before I came on the show. And my throat's just kind of getting at that point where it's like, ah, stop talking. So, let's continue on with the transfers. Matteo Ganduzzi, he went alone to Arthur Berlin, like I said. Uh, we were trying to offload him all year, and it's unfortunate we couldn't get any type of fee for him, but we just have to recognize next year when he comes back from loan, he is only going to have one year left on his contract. I think that's the make-or-break year, and uh, 
<clears throat> Obviously, he was loaned out to free up space for somebody else that we will talk about momentarily. But another one I want to say is, uh, Kanduzi, I hope that you have a good stay in Germany, and I hope that you can learn and build some discipline to not let your emotions get the best of you, because clearly that's the reason why you're not playing for Arsenal right now, and Arteta sees something that you need to fix, and maybe you could prove that over in Germany, because I have no ill will towards you, man, and I thought that you were building to be an exciting prospect for this team, and you were one of the few that actually stuck around after all of the shit show that we uh, encountered last season the year prior and you know i hope that all the best happens for you i hope that germany treats you well i'm sure you'll like it over there but uh just note to self it's a tough league over there and it's gonna be just like england so be on your high heels be alert build up some strength and build up some courage take a chance over there buddy Another notable name which I'll bring up that went away is Lucas Torreira. Now, uh, the whole situation with Torreira is unfortunate because obviously he was brought in to be a part of Unai Emery's plans. And uh, he just kind of got hit with a few injuries before the span of time when he was able to play and adjust to Michael Arteta's playing style. And it just looks like he's not really in his plans. And I think this is the best move for him if he wants to try and play football. Or soccer, and you know, it's nice that Atletico Madrid were able to pick him up, and we'll see what happens over there. And he's another one that obviously was loaned out to free spaces for somebody else who we'll be talking about in just a moment. But Terrera, I was so happy when you joined this team, and I hope and wish you all the best back in Spain. I hope you and your family had a beautiful stay in London. I know you're just on loan. I don't know if they will buy you at the end of next season. Too soon to tell. But if you are back in London, we have warm warm arms welcoming you back. But otherwise, have a great season. And uh, we'll see what develops from then. Now, Arsenal's incoming transfers for this year where... Gabriel Magalhães, uh, he came from Lille for 27 million pounds or quids, and that rounds up to about 35 million U.S. dollars, 36, right around that area. Um, not so much that we bought him this year, but it's been on everyone's uh, review pages or uh, Arsenal's transfers for this year. Um, William Saliba came in from St. Antion. Uh, I guess it makes sense because we loaned him out last year and he's coming onto the team or be a part of the squad this year. And he was also bought for 27 million pound or quid, which also comes out to 35 million US dollars. But one thing that's interesting with Saliba is last season, I don't think that Arsenal thought that he got the proper development that we wanted for him before he joined this team this year. And I think that he's subject to loan. I don't think that this is a bad idea. Obviously, it can't happen internationally, and I've read some reports somewhere that St. Etienne were trying to loan him back for another year, and we would have gladly accepted it, but uh, something broke down before the window had closed shut on Monday, so it looks more likely that he may end up on loan at a championship squad, and... Here's my thing. It's a very competitive league down there. There's a lot of great teams right now fighting to come back up into the Premier League. Um, if he does go down to, to any of those teams, I hope that he does really well. And I hope that injuries do not uh, arrive for him or any that happen to kind of, you know make sure that he goes down there and gets the proper training needed before he comes back up here so that his development isn't diminished any less than it is, you know, and I'm excited to see what happens for him. Um, if he does stay on the team, we'll see. If not, and he goes to loan, I'm not totally opposed to it because I can understand he only played about 19 games last year, and it would have been more suitable if he got 20-plus games and to get more experience. That was the whole point of him going out alone is to get as much experience as possible, but he was just hurt for a large majority of the season, so I think it's best that we do try to let him 
get the best fitness and training that he can if he's not going to get as many minutes for Arsenal. Um, another one that was for free transfer in from Huddersfield was Tim Akinola, uh, Saladin from Feyenoord. Uh, he came in free. Jonathan Denzei, he came in from Tottenham for free. George Lewis came from Fram Lavoc. Fram Larvik for free. <laughs> um, William came in from Chelsea for free. Uh, the next two didn't really come in this year as they were both loaned into our squad uh, last January in the transfer window, but Pablo Marie finalized his move as we decided to uh, go with an option to buy him after the loan spell. So that came out to 12 million pound overall and about 20 million US dollars. Um, Cedric Suarez, same same deal, brought him in alone on January, and he came from Southampton for just above two million pounds. That was about seven million, eight million U.S. dollars, and uh, that's only just saying it was a loan fee and wages because he was free of his contract once June came up. So it was kind of a free signing, but yeah, I don't get it. It's tough to say, but um. Then we signed Danny Ceballos alone again from Real Madrid. Great to have him on board. Uh, seems to be a very creative uh, centerfold piece for us. So we hope that he could develop into the best possible Spanish player that we need because we are missing our Santi. Where's our Santi Cazorla? <laughs> but no, yeah, he's doing great. Um, you can see the progress he's made. Since last year, I mean, immense progress, so it's great to have him on board again. We purchased a goalie to replace uh, Emmy Martinez from Dijon, and that is Alex Runerson, and we paid just above um, £1 million quid for him, about like one3 to be exact, and... Where do I begin with my excitement? Uh... This man's name was brought up as a possible transfer target and was inquired about Arsenal in about May, right before, uh, you know, the Premier League came back to action. And it was actually kind of happening off the scenes when the COVID outbreak uh, unleashed on us and unfolded. But uh, it's someone that's been on our radar for quite a few years. I think we've been scouting him for two years, and it's just an all-around guy. And on transfer deadline day, we were able to seal the signing of Thomas Partey from Atletico Madrid for uh, going after his release clause for £45 million, and that comes to about 50 354 million US dollars and he is the most expensive African player ever signed for a club and I think the next highest one is Michael Essien and his high, uh his price was set to about 27 million pounds so yeah it's quite a change and I think that he can live up to the hype uh I know that there were other names floating around with Loomers, uh, one of which was Hosim Owar, and it would be really nice to have a creative midfielder, and I'm sad to see that those talks broke down, and it seemed like it was really difficult to try and strike a deal with Gene Aulis, the president of Lyon, so... Just playing a little hardball, it was kind of the same situation we were trying to say in Lacazette when we got him, and just kind of made everything about social media, and trying to sway us and tempt us to make rash decisions or spend a particularly high amount with uh, providing false info that other clubs are looking at the player or something. You know, that type of deal. And um, that's just a tactic. I can't blame them doing that. It's just a business tactic. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But yes, it is party time. Now... We played against him, and we played against him in the Europa League when we lost in the semifinals in 2017 or 2018. I can't remember the year off the top of my head, but 
not that he was so huge or big back then, but <clears throat> ever since then, he's developed in such a big player. I mean, of all the stats that any of the Arsenal players could do right now, he will be the highest in tackles per 90 minutes played. He has some of the most passes. He's always standing on his feet. He's a big guy, and he's just this box-to-box midfielder that we really needed all this time. He can really pass the ball well. He knows how to dribble really well, and I think this opportunity for him on Arsenal is an opportunity for him to come into a team and really unleash himself, you know? Um, Diego Simeone is really down to playing um, a set tactical plan where he might have not had much freedom to do as many things offensively as he might have wanted while he was playing there. But I think at Arsenal, we're going to be able to give him more opportunity to do that, especially if he might be playing beside uh, Ceballos or Xhaka in that role where... He's going to be able to freely do what he wants, and I think that he might be a real big threat for us on offense and both defense because he's the big guy that we need that could be an enforcer, a leader, somebody that can kind of control and manage the game from the middle because we have been missing that, and we still haven't replaced Vieira, and I'm not making a jinx to say that he is Vieira, but could this finally be the time that we have found a suitable replacement that can man and own our midfield. Um, we're paying him on a pretty high weekly wages, and I think that he's well worth it and he deserves it. But, hey, he's got to prove that he's worth it. And I'm not sure when he'll play, but all these guys are on international break now. If you would like to watch um, Thomas Partey play, I know that his first game for Ghana is against Mali on Friday. If you would like to check that out but uh i just had a few questions asked to me by some close friends and uh one of which was will we finish in top four uh as an arsenal fan i'd like to say yeah i I believe we could do it i think if we build enough momentum and we keep this good streak going and we learn from our mistakes and signing Partey has kind of gave us more of a presence in midfield i think that we can honestly do that it all is contingent of results and how other teams play and adapt to what's happening in this premier league season so yes i think they could finish top four but ideally they must finish between first and sixth place because after you spent this much money on some transfers even though we we're you know strapped for some cash i think that it's suitable that we finish in one of those places otherwise it was a huge fail so you know i have faith i have confidence i think that we have a team full of leaders that are willing to come out and play and look Another thing that happened in the transfer window that I thought was even bigger than grabbing Thomas Partey was the fact that Aubameyang stayed for us, the fans, the club. He wants to be a legend. Let's help him out and do our best. And I think the first start of that is get back into the Champions League. Make a presence and let's make our club a big name again because people look at us and all I see is Banter FC. Banter FC. Well, screw you. I've stuck through the storm, and I'm going to continue to stay through it, because once a gooner, always a gooner. Once a gunner, always a gunner. Um, one other thing that was asked, uh, I saw that Jack Wilshire was actually released by West Ham, and it's unfortunate. I saw that it seemed like he was fit, and David Moyes just didn't want to play him, and they were trying to spin it off as he was injury-prone. But he's been training and full fit for nine months. Could we get him on a free transfer? Well, yeah, I think that would prove to be nice for Arsenal. I don't think it hurts to get another homegrown player onto the team as that seems to be an issue, and, you know, if the wages are right, I don't think that there's anything wrong with bringing back Jack, and I think that 
he could prove to be really good for us. But um, other teams I thought had a really good transfer window was Chelsea. But I think it's too many new faces to be perfect. Uh, Aston Villa had a great window. Everton had a great window. I hate to admit it, but freaking Spurs had a good window. Just seemed really economically perfect. I mean... Now it just looks like they have death in every position and are building for the future as well as who's playing on the field now. So to any Spurs fans listening to this, job well done, but uh, still hate Tottenham. <laughs> Liverpool had a decent window and City had a decent window, but I don't think they properly re- replaced Leroy Sané. And now I think a lot of pressure is on Phil Foden, but... You know, those are my takeaways. I'm never going to talk about another team and how they had a terrible or awful transfer window, but I don't really have to say anything. Uh, I'm pretty sure we know. all know who that was directed towards. But, hey, it didn't come out of my mouth. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that's going to be it for me, guys. I hope you all had a great time listening to this episode. Have a great weekend. Enjoy this international break. I'm still undecided if I'm going to release something next Wednesday just because we're on an international break, but maybe something real quick. Uh, just maybe more questions that might be asked my way as well as maybe some injury reports or something along those lines. So, on that note, love and light, my friends. Until next time. Come on, you gunners! Girls at home are so against the wall.